Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. I'm a physical therapist and biomechanics expert. And today I have a very special treat for you all. Catherine Andrew is a functional registered dietitian, and we are continuing our conversation about why you aren't building muscle as it relates to nutrition. You all know I'm not a nutrition expert. I don't claim to be. So I want to bring on other people who are experts in nutrition. And the reason why I'm bringing on Catherine is because her philosophy and my philosophy are very similar. Hers to food and nutrition and mine to exercise. And what I mean by that is we are both concerned with how can we build our bodies up? How can we work with our bodies instead of against our bodies? Both of us are not like fast track weight loss coaches, right? We don't believe that that's sustainable or that really is an enjoyable process at all. And what I love about Catherine is that she looks at every client of hers from a holistic standpoint, and that word is tossed around a lot. What does that even mean? She looks at how are you sleeping? How is your stress? Uh, when are you eating? What are you eating? Are you stressed about eating? She looks at all of those things. And we talk about that a little bit in this podcast, but there's so much more to uncover. This podcast that we recorded a couple of days ago is just the tip of the iceberg. And I we talk about you know, what amino acids are and why they're important in your food and how amino acids are important for building muscle. We talk about what types of protein to focus on. We talk about when eating, when you should eat. We talk about carbs. So much is packed into this episode. I'm really excited for you to hear it and make sure you stay to the end because there's an exciting announcement at the very end of this podcast. Now I am recording this currently, this intro from my closet from my parents' house in Wichita. So if you're watching on YouTube, that's what's behind me. Um, fun fact, closets are the best place to record podcasts because uh, they're smaller and you don't get as much echo. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see that I'm in my other closet in LA when we're actually recording this podcast. So there's my husband's clothes behind me. I know it's a great visual. So anyways, I hope you all enjoy this podcast and here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. I am so excited to have you on. I know the listeners are going to be so excited to hear what you have to say today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and I love your previous podcast. So I, I just love the idea of being on and being able to share more information as it relates to nutrition and fitness. Well, as I talk about all the time, you can't really separate the two. Like you can't separate your fitness results from how you're eating, what you're eating, when you're eating, all of that. So today we're continuing our conversation about building muscle and obviously what you eat and how you fuel after your workouts is extremely important for your results and how you're gaining muscle. So let's just get right into it, Catherine. What, from a nutritional standpoint, would you recommend when someone is interested in building muscle from their fitness routine? Um, gosh, there's so much that we can talk about as it relates to that. So I've, I can say a lot. So just stop me if I go too long, for sure. Um, I think the first thing I would say, maybe backing up a little bit, is is this idea that like we tend to want quick fixes with fitness as well. You know that really well. And with nutrition, for sure. So um everything that I'll talk about today is, is sort of, um, generalizations, right? Things that we've learned from research that worked for most people, but this is not possibly the case for you. So I would say, I, you know, I always make the disclaimer when I'm talking about nutrition, that it is highly individualized. So a lot of the things as it relates to 
um, muscle growth and fitness and nutrition um, that I will say today, again, work for, for many people, but might not be right for you. So make sure that you're always filtering some of these things back through. Is this working for me? How does this feel? How do I function when I um, use some of these ticks, tricks and tips that, um, that Catherine shared with me? So that would be the first thing. Um, when I think about muscle growth, I think about sort of three, three big disclaimers as well. Initially, one is are you getting enough overall energy? And when I say energy, I'm, I'm talking about calories, right? So to make sure that we have enough energy to fuel muscles, right? Muscle growth is not essential for our bodies. It's not something that our bodies are prioritizing over, uh, for example, cortisol that we'll come back to and that I know you have talked about a lot, but survival um, mechanisms, muscle is not always put into that category. So overall, we have to think about nutrition as a whole, not specifically solely fueling that fitness and the, the muscle growth, right? Just like the same idea with, with fitness, right? You can't spot, spot work any part of your body and the same works for uh, nutrition and that we can't hone in solely on muscle growth above all else. So that's one thing to make sure of. And, and there's a big danger with a lot of athletes in terms of under eating. And I see it pretty often, right? Um, is men and women exercising excessively. And thanks to you, hopefully we're going to not do that as often, Shannon, but also um, making sure that you're fueling appropriately for the, the movement that you are doing. So obviously it will depend highly on your training, right? So the types of exercise that you're doing will make a difference in the types of macronutrients that you're going to focus on. Um, certainly frequency and intensity matters as well. Um, so those are some things to think about. The other thing would be your goals. So if you're someone who cares exclusively about aesthetics, then your goals might look a little different than me, who's um, a wife and a mother and a, a business owner and trying to sleep well and have a healthy sex drive and um, digestion and all these other things, right? So we are going to tweak for everyone based on what you're trying to do and then also what you're training. Um, so I think those would be kind of the the big basics. Um, but if we were to get really into muscle growth, um, muscle mass is, is really when we think about building muscle, we're thinking about sort of the build of muscle, but also the breakdown of muscle. So when we exercise, we're often breaking down muscle. So a lot of what nutrition comes down to is rebuilding that muscle and, and what are the nutrients that we need for that. Um, so I'll talk about that for a second, but I also want to talk about activation of that muscle rebuild because that's an um, important piece. And it's also one that we're learning more and more about through research these days. Um, so when we think about muscle synthesis or muscle growth, uh, the big critical thing that most of us know about is what we call amino acids, right? Amino acids are the building blocks of protein. So in particular, muscle is a protein, right? And we think about getting from our diet, what we're looking for is getting those amino acids. So, so critical compounds that we're gonna need in order to rebuild that muscle. There's 20 amino acids, um, 11 of which your body can make and nine of which you cannot make. So you have to get them from your diet. These are called your essential, your nine essential amino acids. Um, and then within those nine, there's actually three that we call branch chain amino acids, which if any of you have been in the fitness world for a while, have probably heard about, right? Because branch chain amino acids are particularly helpful in supporting muscle growth. Um, so I do think those are important. I also think that we need to remind you that we need all of those 20, right? We don't want to just focus on those branch chain amino acids. Um, 
what's more, a lot of us have heard of complete and incomplete proteins. So a complete protein is one that has all nine of those essential amino acids. Uh, those are usually from animal and seafood products. An incomplete pro protein, which is often from plant products, is one that's missing one or more of those essential amino acids. So that doesn't mean that you can't build muscle with those plant products, but it does mean that you have to be a little more strategic if you're not eating as much animal or seafood um, foods to, to make sure that you're combining your foods, that you're getting more of those plant products in order to kind of achieve them all nine of those essential amino acids, if that makes sense. Yeah. Am I tracking so far, Shannon? Is everything making sense to you? You are. And, and I think like you breaking it down like granularly is really important for people to understand. Like there is clearly a lot of nutritional things that you have to consider when you're trying to build your body up. And I also love how you said our body's priority is not to build muscle. Our body's priority is to keep us safe. So we have to get that in check before we think about building muscle, which wow. is why I've like talked so much about like, okay, we can't be overdoing it. Cause if you're overdoing it and just stressing out your body, your body's priority is not going to be to build your body up stronger. It's going to be just to keep you safe and just to keep, try to get you into homeostasis. So I think that was such an important thing that you brushed over that I wanted to reiterate, but I'm yes. tracking everything you're saying and I'm loving it. Um, keep going, keep going. What else do we okay. need to know? Okay. Well, and you know me, right? So I will always come back to the idea of homeostasis and making sure that stress is not overloading your system as the essential. So yes, um, today I'll focus specifically on muscles, but that is a absolute when it comes to health and muscle growth for sure. So thanks for saying that again. Um, so we just talked a little bit about muscle growth, right? And what it takes to build muscle. Um, I want to talk for a second about what we call muscle activation. So this idea of like what triggers our body to actually start building muscles, right? And as you just said very well, we, we first have to be in a place of safety. Our brain has to believe that everything is relatively safe, right? Um, but typically we've always thought of muscle, it's called muscle protein synthesis or MPS to be triggered by what we call anabolic hormones, right? Those are, many of us know like testosterone or growth hormone or insulin. These are called your anabolic, which means build, right? Those are your anabolic hormones versus catabolic hormones, which is um, the ones that break down. And one that I'll, I'll shout out today just for a second is cortisol, right? So we know that cortisol actually works to break down things, including muscle. But muscle activation has always been known to be triggered by your anabolic hormones. But in more recent years, we've, we've learned that there is um, this special protein called mTOR. So mTOR, which stands for something longer I won't even bring up today, but is a kinase. It's a protein that plays a critical role in muscle activation. You kind of think of it as like an on-off switch for muscle growth. Um, so when mTOR is triggered it activates protein synthesis, right? Or, or protein building, muscle building. Um, apparently like new research shows us that the stimulus for mTOR is actually different in different tissues throughout the body. So we're gonna talk for a second about what that what the stimulus is as it relates to muscle protein. Um, we also know that too much mTOR, right? We don't want it to be overactive, which with most things in our body, but too much mTOR can lead to irregular cell growth, um, which then leads to a lot of types of cancers, right? So we wanna make sure that it's in check. But the three things that we know can stimulate mTOR, 
One is insulin. The second is resistance training or exercise, right? Which we're, we're kind of hitting both of these already. Um, and the third is the amino acid leucine. So leucine is one of those branch chain amino acids that um, we talked about earlier, but it's particularly important for activating muscle growth. So when you think about eating to support muscle building, leucine is one that you want to make sure you have in your diet. Now, again, back to your goals, if if just sort of maintaining the muscles that you have is your goal, then that might not be an overemphasis for you. But if you are truly trying to lay down and build more muscle, then we're going to be looking specifically at that amino acid leucine. Um, good sources of leucine are, are casein and whey, um, dairy, animal and seafood products and eggs, right? So primarily um, from your animal products, you can get a little bit from beans and vegetables, but just like with overall protein, you have to eat a, a much larger amount of those in order to get enough leucine to help build muscles. Um, so hopefully that gets through some of those specifics of amino acids. So again, remember we're looking for those nine essential amino acids. And then in particular, we want to think about leucine, which is especially helpful for triggering muscle growth, muscle activation. Um, so that leads me to kind of like wrap up the protein section, right? Which is that like, if we're thinking about protein, um, there's a few things that I think are particularly important in terms of like, okay, Catherine, what do I need? How much do I need? What am I looking for when it comes to the practical side of my diet? Um, one of the biggies is variety. So I just talked about all these different amino acids and each of your different sources of protein from plants to animals, to different types of animals, to different parts of the same animal have dramatically different amino acids. Um, and I think one thing that we often miss is that we tend to, as Americans, eat muscle meat. We eat a lot of muscle meat, which is particularly high in an amino acid called methionine. Um, but it's very low and deficient in some others, i.e. glycine. And if any of you have ever used collagen, collagen is a great source of glycine because it comes from connective tissues and skin and different parts of the animal that we don't tend to consume regularly. So when you think about variety with proteins, certainly if you like different cuts of, of one animal, if you like um, getting protein from the farmer's market, which we were just there here this morning, and there's all kinds of variety when it comes to proteins that are not found as easily in your standard grocery store. So I certainly encourage people for overall health, but particularly for muscle building to make sure that they're diversifying the types of proteins that they're getting um, in that way. Uh, the other thing that I would think about is quality. So hopefully most of us now know that there's a big difference between a, a factory farmed conventional animal, i.e. a McDonald's hamburger, um, and a grass-fed piece of ground beef that you could get at a local store or at your local farmer's market. Um, and I do think there's a huge difference, and I'm seeing that more and more in practice and in research. Um, it's not been researched well enough to make some hard, fast um, answers necessarily, but I think there is a big difference in what we get from quality meats versus what we get from junky meats, if you will. Um, I'm not saying that perfection is the goal. Hopefully, just like you, Shannon, I don't think that we're ever trying to um, be perfect and that adds to stress, which will then deplete our muscles, right? Um, but when possible, either financially or when you can actually physically get to a place that has these things, 
Um, I certainly encourage people to think about where you can make the swaps that make sense for you uh, that will encourage um, higher quality of protein, particularly your animal and seafood proteins and making sure those are coming from better sources, again, if possible. Um, um, two follow-up questions, not to interrupt you. Two follow-up questions. The first one is, can you give us some examples of varieties of proteins that you're talking about? And then the second is like, um, specifically what makes a protein higher quality? Like you said, grass fed beef, and then can you go over the other kind of, um, better quality proteins? Great questions. Um, so as far as variety, I think about, again, I think one of the easiest things to think about is chicken because we eat different parts of the animal, right? So if you think about, if you tend to always buy chicken breast, boneless, skinless chicken breast, um, trying sometimes to, and, and this might be, you might not like it, right? So do, do what works for you. I also just want you to eat, um, but chicken thighs or chicken legs, um, even getting chicken, like again, quality, we'll come to that in a second, but chicken with the skin on can give you different um nutrients and minerals than what you get from a boneless piece of meat. Um, additionally, and people might hate me over this one and I know Shannon, we've talked about it, but things like liver, right? So different organs, but particularly liver from beef and chicken, because we have access to those, um, is incredibly rich and in nutrients and minerals. So I, I'm not saying that I eat those things all the time. I wish I liked them better, but trying to figure out if there are ways you can add in, um, sort of more obscure meats than you think of. Another great source would be bone broth. So any type of animal that has bone, right, being able to, to access bone broth from different types of animals will give you a very different amino acid breakdown than what you get from the meats of animals. Um, so those are some variety that I think about, but then I also think about shellfish and seafood and fin fish and mollusks and you know, oysters and mussels and clams and shrimp and sardines and um, salmon, right? So there's all different nutrients in those things, um, different types of animals, i.e. like bison. If you like ground beef, try and ground bison occasionally, um, trying to add in different types of variety. And then certainly with your vegetables as well. So if you're um, a vegetarian or a vegan making, you know, thinking about getting eggs, if you can, um, dairy, as well as different types of beans, right? Each of your beans has different benefits. So that's a great way to get it. Um, and then when you asked about quality, um, there's not one answer that fits that question very well, but I would say for different types of products, um, when we're thinking about beef, we're thinking about what we call grass fed, um, when we're thinking about chicken, it's what we call, or any type of poultry, we're looking for pastured, which means that they have access to grass and bugs and they're outside. And that the same goes for eggs as well. Um, and then seafood, you're particularly looking for wild. And I think seafood might be one that you're especially interested in getting wild because you can, right? You can find wild seafood everywhere. Um, it's not dramatically more than the conventionally raised and it is dramatically better for you. So does that answer those questions, Shannon? Awesome. Excellent. And <laughs> you're kind of triggering me a little bit because I am like, I'm, I tend to just find a few things that I like and just eat them over and over and over. And so you're inspiring me to like, maybe instead of ground beef this week, I'll try ground bison. And like, maybe instead of my, my sardines, I'll do like shrimp or so right. it's inspiring me to like diversify a little bit. Um, yeah. And it keeps it interesting too. Like it keeps it it keeps right. you more excited to, to eat healthy if you know you're going to like have different flavors. Yes. 
But I would also add, Shannon, like for you, especially you're such a good, you're so consistent and there's benefit to that too, right? So what I often tell clients to do is save the weekends for the creativity, right? So I think there's nothing wrong with eating similar meals like you do from day to day, having two or three lunches and two or three breakfasts that you repeat over and over. Um, Certainly seasonally is a great time to switch those up. Like maybe you swap out a vegetable for another because it's seasonal in season. Um, but it's same idea with your meats. Right. But I don't think that I want someone spinning their wheels to have a different type of protein every day of the week. Right. Like that feels again, so overwhelming that it's going to offset the health benefits of it. So I think there's a middle ground to trying to find that consistency, but then also finding the times, the days of the week, the days of the month, when you are able to add in the variety um, so that you don't feel guilty about eating the same things from day to day, but you also can like have an opportunity to add in some of that variety. So well, and that's a good, that's a good point too, of like doing, mixing it up more on the weekends. Like, I, I don't know about you, your family, but we love to go out to eat. Yeah. And so like going out to eat and like trying a fish that I normally wouldn't right. cook at home exactly. and like getting their seasonal veggies that I normally wouldn't cook at home. I mean, that's a great way to like, okay, I can just play the hits while I'm at home. The ones yeah. that I know how to cook and that right. taste good and whatever, and are easy. Yeah. And then on the weekends I can try like the oysters and the shellfish that I like, don't really want to cook at home. I mean, that's a great suggestion. Yeah. I think that's a great way to do it. And one that I often tell people like it's go out to eat, do it. You find new flavors, you find new things that you like. Maybe you bring them back home and you make it a part of your rotation, or maybe you don't, maybe you recognize I'm never going to be able to cook that fish as well as they do. So I'm just going to get it there and enjoy it when I get it. So absolutely. Great point. And one thing listeners that I love about Catherine is that she is, she encourages you to go enjoy yourself. Don't restrict yourself so much about food. Like don't get so obsessive about it. Like go out and eat like every once in a while, the foods that you love that maybe aren't like categorized as quote unquote, conventionally healthy. Um, you said something not to go off too much on a rabbit hole on this. Um, but you said something to me recently about, I, I was, we just moved to Los Angeles. And so I've been exploring a lot of foods and I was talking on Instagram about how, like, it's not been my priority to like eat super quote unquote clean right now. And you mentioned something just like in my, in my messages and passing, like, tell me what you said. Like you said, I argue that that could be better for your metabolism to kind of get the variety. Can you, can you explain that a little bit? I don't want to go too much off on a tangent, but I just thought that was super interesting. I I don't want to like pull up my messages and remember exactly what I said either, (laughs) but my guess is that what I was um, indicating one is variety, right? So I do think that was what I was thinking of right there, right? Is that you do, you were eating different foods than you're used to eating, which I think is huge for our health. Um, And the second is that you were probably varying the amounts and the timing of your meals as well, right? So we all know, like everyone's heard some version of carb cycling or intermittent fasting, right? And and we won't get into those today (laughs) as a disclaimer, but, but I will say that like, there are benefits to like keeping your metabolism on its toes a little bit, right? So consistency, yes, but I always say like consistency with variability, right? So consistency with flexibility might be a better way to say it. Um, in that like going out of town is a great opportunity to learn like, Oh, if I eat a little later, I feel better. Or if I eat earlier, if I eat something different, if I have pimento cheese with lunch and I don't normally, what does that do for me? Right? Like, I think there's a great opportunity to, to changing up your eating styles, Um, as long as you're paying attention, right. To be able to notice like what might fill you up in a way that you hadn't noticed in a while, or you hadn't felt, um, because you were kind of stuck in your same rut. 
I love that. And that encourages like people to not feel so guilty about eating. Like there's yeah. so much guilt around food. And I, like you said, that's not, that's not good for us. Cause it just <laughs> increases our stress, which is yeah. it's counterproductive. So yeah, for sure. Um, Oh, finishing out that protein section, I did want to say like how much is something a lot of people will ask oftentimes. And I don't, um, like that's a biggie, right. In terms of variability, like, what are you doing? What, how big are you? Right. Like I, I can't really say exactly how much you listener need to be eating. Um, but I do think of like generally about a minimum of 20, if not 30 grams of protein post-exercise. So if we're talking specifically again about muscle growth, not just health, um, then I would be looking for, for at least 20 to 30 per meal or post-exercise, either way to think of it. Um, and another rule of thumb, some people will use is one gram per pound of lean body mass. Now, most of us don't know what our lean body mass is. And I don't, I don't know that you need to know that. Um, so I think, I mean, somewhere around a pound to a pound of just total body mass is sort of a, a great place to shoot. Now I don't, but I also think there's a balance of not feeling like you're chronically like shoving in beef sticks and chicken breasts all the time. Right. So I think protein is one that can be overwhelming when people are trying to add more in because we tend to get this sort of super focused attention on getting more and more protein. Um, and so I, I do generally work with, um, clients on sort of what is the balance for you that's enough, but also not so much that you get, like you were talking about, it, tired of eating the same proteins. And that's where the variety comes in. But I would say somewhere between a pound per lean body mass to a pound of just body mass total, again, depending on how much muscle and what your goals are, might be kind of a good rule of thumb for most um, people to think about. Uh, are you saying an one sir or one ounce per pound, not pound for pound? Sorry, one gram. One gram. Right. One gram per pound. 20 to 30 grams per meal um, would be kind of a lower limit. Now, again, if you were a bodybuilder, you'd be looking more at like 50 grams per meal. Like you'd be trying to get a lot more than that. But for most of us that are doing Evlo workouts, you don't need excessive amounts of protein, but I do want to make sure that you're getting enough. Right. And that's, we tend to go kind of extreme or we have a giant like ribeye steak, or then we have cereal, right? And there's somewhere in between where we can get a little more protein at our meals um, and aim for more like that 20 to 30 range for most meals, I think ends up working out for people better. And I know, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but your take on like BCAA supplements or um, protein powders, do you, is that some, do you try to recommend just eating your protein or yeah. is that a, you know, I'm always interested in food first, right? Like that again, I think the value is that food comes like naturally packaged with its own combination of enzymes and like supportive amounts of fat. And I mean, there's just so much in food itself that when we try and extract from food, we end up getting things in isolation. I'm not a huge fan of um, BCAA supplementation excessively because I do think then we end up with an overload of one type. Those those particular types of amino acids and independent of our other amino acids. I also think people can get kind of lazy when they're supplementing with BCAAs and stop eating the, the protein, right. And actually getting the value of the food itself. Um, so I think, you know, in a pinch occasionally for someone training for something, absolutely. Supplementation is a great idea, but um, if possible, I would say go with food first 
Same goes for protein powder, right? So we have some here, I use it, right? It's not something that I say to avoid, right? But I don't, I don't want someone using protein powder, certainly for all their meals and ideally not every day, all the time kind of thing for any one meal. So trying to get those same um, amino acids, but, and more, right? The sort of benefit of food from a meal. But again, that's where like convenience versus stress comes in. And like, there are days when it makes sense to eat a bar or have a, a shake, right? Like those things can absolutely fit into a healthy diet. Um, depending on the type of workout someone's doing, like, again, I don't, I think with Evlo workouts, we're not, you know, we're not breaking down a ton of muscle. I'm not doing an intense CrossFit workout that would require excessive amounts of amino acids to replenish. So really you, it doesn't seem like we need to be getting excessive amounts of, and in, in terms of supplementation, amino acids for the types of workouts that we get from you, Shannon. Got it. Got it. And timing is important. We've talked about this before. Can you touch on that? Yeah. So timing is a really cool world too. And, and certainly I was going to talk about carbs a little bit, um, and timing relates to those as well. Um, but in particular, when we think about timing, there's, there's a few things that matter as it relates to protein and carbs. Um, what we're looking for is that we have storage of glucose, right? So glucose is car where we get from carbohydrates um, in our liver and in our muscles, right? And anytime we exercise, we burn through stored glycogen. It's called glycogen. That's the name of the glucose storage. So we burn through glycogen. Um, most research shows us that we often burn through our liver glycogen first, and then we tap into our muscle glycogen. So when you are actively exercising, your body at some point switches over to using your muscle glycogen. And then there's this magic window, uh, which that's where a lot of the debate comes in about how long when your body after exercise makes it really easy for you, easier than usual to to refill those stores, those glycogen stores in your muscle. So your body recognizes that you just broke down and tore apart this tissue in your muscle and it wants to help you replenish that. So I know you've, you've talked, I remember one of your podcasts, I'm not sure which one about a little bit about insulin sensitivity, right? So the goal is that we are more sensitive. That's a good thing. We want to be sensitive so that our body can pull in glucose. And we have a window of 30 minutes to two hours after exercise, when we are better, we're, we're better at taking that glucose and putting it, shunting it into our muscles and building the muscle. The, the challenging thing is most of the research has been done on men historically, right? So a lot of the research, you can see anywhere from two to 21 hours when your metabolism is higher and really like two to three hours when your body is, is pushing more willing to take that anything that you eat and put it both protein and carbs into your muscle storage. What we found, the more that we see research on women is that that window is a lot shorter for women. Um, and unfortunately it gets shorter and shorter with less estrogen as we get older. So it does tend to minimize, but we're looking more at 30 minutes to an hour for most women to replenish that muscle glycogen. So that's where with protein, but also with carbs, um, I think a lot of times we have this sort of backwards mentality that like we can push our meal off. Like the, the, the later we wait to eat the better, because then I eat less, right. I used to have, I used to eat 
breakfast super late, not because I knew anything about fasting, but because I thought like, okay, then I, then I won't get hungry again sooner. Right, um, right. But what we now know is that you have this like amazing opportunity again, in that 30 minutes to an hour to, to eat in a way that will actually go into your muscle rather than anywhere else on your body. So I think one thing that I see people kind of missing the boat on is waiting to refuel after an exercise when really you would gain a lot more by refueling right after an exercise. And as it relates to protein, um, again, refilling those glycogen stores, we found that your body is a lot more effective at refilling your glycogen stores when you get carbohydrates and proteins together. So again, a lot of people will fall into this, like either carbs or protein, depending on who you're following at that week. Um, but most research shows us that they're actually more effective at restoring your glycogen when you, when you're consuming them together. Um, so that's what I think about with timing. What did I miss Shannon? What else are you, what's on your mind? Well, I, I, I always crave carbs after a workout. So it makes sense. Yeah. Like I'm like, I, I need some like yeah. rice or something. Um, so it totally makes sense. And then, you know, the importance of fat, it, how important is that for muscle building or is that more for other processes in your body? Yeah. So I would say fat is absolutely important, right? Don't, don't forget about fat. Um, maybe if we're talking specifically about muscle growth, I, maybe not as important, if you will, as those carbs and protein. Um, so, but I don't want anyone to hear me saying don't eat fat. Right. So that's the big disclaimer is that, um, but fat is essential for like, if you think about like, I think about like, I don't know, sixth grade science, one of those, right. But the cell membranes, the outside of the cell is made up of lipids, right. It's made up of fat. And so the structure, and that's true for muscle as well. So muscle uses fat, right? Like there, there is room for fat in a diet in terms of building muscle. It's not something that we want to ignore. However, the, the carbs and the protein are probably more essential when it comes specifically to muscle. But I think of the, the big picture, right? If we step back and think more about building muscle back to that first conversation we had in terms of minimizing stress, fat, fat plays a big role, right? So making sure that we're addressing inflammation, that your hormones are happy, um, that, you know, all these other things, digestion is working. Those all require fat too. So in order to get your system to a place where it's excited to lay down muscle, we do need that fat. So I guess that's how fat plays in. Um, but maybe the short answer would be that it's not as critical as carbs and protein, particularly right around the workouts, right? So more so in the big picture for sure, but maybe not as essential post-workout and especially not in that 30 minute window, fat is not something that someone needs to be focused highly on in that time. Super helpful. So yeah, di directly, maybe not like as important, but indirectly to support your system so that your system could be primed to build more muscle. Absolutely. Sounds like it is very important. Got it. That's awesome. Um, so what about, um, pre-workout meals. I know we've talked about this in other discussions that we've had. Um, what do you usually generally recommend for that? So again, a variety of opinions. Um, but when I think about a pre-workout meal or a pre-workout snack, I'm really looking at what do you need to get through that workout? So this is where it really depends on what you're about to do for your workout. Um, any kind of the more intense your training, we talked about depleting those glycogen stores, right? The more intense your training, the more glucose you need on hand, both in storage and in your digestive tract to be able to use. 
So if you were going to go out for a long, let's say longer than an hour run, or you were going to do something like an intense CrossFit workout or HIIT workout, right? Then you would need more carbs than someone who was about to do yoga or a walk, right? So it does matter in terms of your pre-workout fuel is really going to help fuel that workout. If I were trying to PR in something at the gym, right, then I might get a little more fuel before a workout than what I would get if I was just going in for a regular day. Uh, the other sort of essential piece of a pre-workout meal is that it helps minimize that cortisol, right? So there is a lot of um, experts out there and research to show that getting a little bit of food before a workout will help minimize that cortisol spike from an from a workout, right? And I think I sent you something about this recently as well, Shannon, that there is debate around a fasted workout versus not, right? So there's some studies that will show that um, that particularly your stress hormones will spike higher when you don't have enough fuel in your system. And then there's other people that argue, as long as I have enough period overall, like as long as I ate enough, um, the last day, then I will be fine. Usually what I'm recommending, especially for my morning workout people is to think about making sure you're getting a good dinner, even a bedtime snack. If you're going to wake up and work out the next day, um, and, or just timing your workout so that you're eating after a meal, but also not when you're you know, right after a meal and you feel like that would affect digestion. So, um, there's a little bit of variation, a lot of variation based on what you're about to do for that workout, but the pre-workout meal is going to help fuel that workout. So I guess it, that's the short answer there. So that's super helpful. So would you say, and maybe this is too much of a jump, but someone who I talked about in my cortisol episode a few weeks ago, um, if you are just feeling totally burnt out, like you're one of those people that you're like, I am constantly exhausted. Like I, I just feel burnt out and potentially have chronic levels of high cortisol. Maybe that type of person, it might be even more important for them to have a pre-workout snack so that they're not getting those like crazy spikes. What would, or am I off on that? No, you're exactly right. So again, when, when we say the word homeostasis, right, we're thinking about the whole system and that stress level absolutely affects it. Um, there are people that, that are big into heart rate variability as well, right? So if I had a poor night of sleep, that might be a more important day for me to get a little bit of pre-workout meal. Or if I've had a particularly stressful week, um, a, maybe I shouldn't be doing this intense exercise and B, if I am going to, then maybe I need to be making sure I fuel above and beyond. And I didn't talk about it in the beginning, right? When I talked about getting enough calories, that is a big part of the puzzle, but you just pull, pulled out a good sign of like, you know, there are things that our bodies will tell us if we're not eating enough, right? If I, if I lose my period, right. We, we all know about the female athlete triad, um, but right, which has now been renamed red S because men experience it as well, not getting enough. Right. So if you are, um, if you're, if you've lost your period, if you're not bleeding regularly, if you're feeling like hormones are out of whack, if you're constipated, um, if your hair is falling out, if your skin, right, there's a lot of signs that your body will start to send you if you're not getting enough fuel. And those would be people that absolutely would want to make sure they got a pre-workout meal as well as a post-workout meal. I think that's huge because I, I think y'all know I'm not a nutrition expert, but I, what I do see people doing is they'll, they'll work out way too much and way too intensely. And then they'll eat way too little yeah. and they're wondering why they feel like crap and why they're not seeing results from their workouts. Or maybe they'll see it short term, but like long-term they, they, they burn out. Um, so I think that is something really important to reiterate that 
y'all, you got to be eating enough. And can you touch on that? Like, how do you feel about how satisfied you should be after a meal? Like you want to be full, but not too full. I mean, again, I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but I know this will be things that people are curious about. Yeah. Um, I think it's really hard sometimes. I think some of our like satisfaction, like our hunger appetite cues can be off, right. And they can be off from a hormonal level, right? Like we can actually have, um, imbalances and how much leptin and ghrelin we're making, which are our hormone and appetite hormones. Um, they can be off because of how much fat you have on your body or not. Right. So there's different reasons that like, we can't always go for some of us based on just did that meal hit my satisfaction or not. Right. But most of us, if we slow down, right, that's the big key, as you know, um, can actually check in and and you posted this sometime this week, right? Where you were actually um, noticing, you know, challenging yourself to notice when you were eating based on emotions versus based on need. And that is a really hard skill for most of us to, to gain primarily because we're too busy. We're doing too much that we don't actually take the time to stop and check in with our bodies. Um, so I don't have like an 80% full to, you know, like there's no magic number. Cause I don't really know what that feels like. Right. What does 80% feel like? I, I think is really hard for most of us. To right, right. So I go more based on, you know, I, I like to see like, does it carry me three or four hours before I get hungry again? Does this meal like keep me full and satisfied? Does it satisfy me in a way that like I can walk away from the kitchen or do I want more and more after that meal? Right. We've all had meals where we wanted to like, it just wasn't enough, right. There's something missing. And so really playing around as you know, Shannon, what I love to work with people on is like, what are the combinations? What are the amounts? And this might look different from day to day of foods that help satisfy me and keep me full, um, throughout the day. So I, I guess that's not a great answer to your question in terms of how much, um, but that's what I'd be looking for. And some people certainly need to be eating more, a, a little bit beyond right hunger because of under eating in their past or to your point over exercising um, and not really knowing how much. So that's someone that might benefit from using a calorie calculator and figuring out how much they need to be getting for a few days to see, am I actually, am I so far off where I need to be that I, I need to actually work on that a little bit? Well, and I think that is the most responsible answer is that you need to play with it for yourself and you need to play with how much you eat, what, what, what is on your plate and how does that make you feel? And how does like, not only like mental clarity, like how full are you staying? Those things that you mentioned, um, you didn't mention mental clarity, but I just put that in there. Cause I know like for me, that, ma- that makes a big difference. Like what I'm eating mentally, it makes right. a difference for me. But, um, I mean, I say the same thing with exercise. Like you have to play around with an exercise dosage where you're not constantly sore. You're not constantly painful all the time. You're not constantly like dragging and exhausted, but like sleeping poorly. Like you've got to play around with a dosage that works for you. And the same goes with nutrition. I think that's part of the reason why we get along so well as we have similar philosophies on this. Um, so I thought that was super helpful. You touched on not eating enough. Is there another big mistake that, especially I know we have men listeners too, but mostly women. So is there another big mistake that women tend to make when they are trying to build muscle? Uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind other than the not eating enough is it, I guess, goes hand in hand with that. Um, and it's probably more of your world than mine, but it's the overdoing it and right it, on the exercise side. Right. And I think you speak to it so well as far as not just 
that it's wrong, but here's why it's not going to help your body. Right. So I, I think people underestimate the value of blood sugar and cortisol and all of these other mechanisms that our body puts into place to really keep us from building muscle when we're overdoing the exercise. And I find that most women don't want to eat enough, right? Like as to your point, um, I have people who love the high intensity exercise, right? Like they, they really thrive on it. And I would argue that they might be thriving on adrenaline and cortisol, but different, different story. Um, all this to say they enjoy it for one reason or another, um, but cannot eat enough to keep up with their demands and sort of underestimate how much they need to keep up with that. And so that's where I think backing off the exercise makes a lot of sense so that I don't feel like I'm having to eat all day long. Right. So I guess that's kind of the same thing we were just talking about, but I do find that it's both the underfueling and also the over-exercising and underestimating, I would say in part of that is sort of the, the amount of challenge that stress, emotional stress, uh, sleep stress, right. All the different things that I've been covering in my series on Instagram right now will have a, have a part in building muscle, right. Will actually affect your body's ability to build anything, right. Then you're not trying to build much of anything if you're in a state of survival. Um, so I think that that's something that most people don't recognize is sort of the, the interplay of all those different pieces. Um, the only other one I would say might, might be a little of something that I see commonly also something that, um, matters as it relates to building protein, which is the, is bone health, right? So when we think about muscles and, and sort of what you, you've got to have the structure, right? Like some people would say you're only as strong as your frame and your frame might be smaller, bigger, right? That's, that's genetic, but we've got to make sure that your bones can hold those muscles that they can actually allow you to lay down and, and build more muscle. Um, and I have seen, and, and this is a full circle turn for me from being a vegan 15 years ago, um, but a real deficiency in, in sort of nutrients such as calcium, vitamin D, magnesium in our diets. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, with gut health and people don't break down dairy as well. And so then they just walk away from it and don't try and figure out what's going on with my gut such that I'm not able to digest some of these foods and how can I improve that? Um, so again, I think I'm not going to get into the like dairy debate today, but I do see some real like basic minerals being pretty deficient. Um, I would add potassium as well to that because that comes you know, we get a lot of potassium from carbs and many people are scared of carbs and are restricting carbs. Um, and so I think, I don't know where I'm talking in circles at this point, but I feel like bone health is another biggie that people miss when they think about fitness and muscles. Right. And I think, I think that is probably a whole nother conversation because like you said, if you're not tolerating dairy and you're not able to get good sources of calcium from dairy or whatever, maybe that's, something else underlying that you need to start to look into, um, which again, I think is an entirely different podcast. I don't want to overwhelm people too much, but I do think that's, that's a good thing to touch on. Um, other than that, anything else that we missed or anything else that you want to cover as far as this topic goes? Um, I think the only other thing I would add for my women out there, um, is that there is a difference, right? As I mentioned briefly about that one piece before, like there's, there's not enough research around women and fitness and sort of how we utilize nutrients. We're starting to learn that like, think, thanks to estrogen and, and even like different points in your cycle throughout the month, you might store more or less glycogen at different places in your cycle. 
again, a whole nother podcast, but there is a lot, I see a lot of benefit in sort of knowing your body period, but also knowing like, where am I in my cycle and what, you know, there are variations in how much I need to get from my workout at one point in my cycle versus another point in my cycle. So it might be more information than some people know, but even just knowing some of the basics can be really beneficial. So I won't get into the details today, but I feel like that is something that, um, I want to just put a caveat out there for as we think about muscle building and body composition and fitness is that there is a lot of unknown when it comes to females, but also the things that we do know show us that there's, it's not the same as for men, right? So our metabolism, we talked about that window. There's a lot of variations that are worth um, just listening to your body and, and sort of trusting that your body usually has something smart to tell you. Yes. I think if, if there's one takeaway from this podcast, both just overall my podcast and also specifically this conversation is like, (laughs) your body is sometimes smarter than you are. And if you are getting signals from your body that something's up, you're exhausted, you are like getting all these crazy cravings or you're moody or whatever it is, maybe it's not, maybe that's not the best time to like go kill yourself in the gym for, you know, an hour and a half, or maybe that's not the best time to like really restrict your eating. Um, I think that, that we, we are so conditioned to believe like no pain, no gain, like just push through it. Like, but understanding your own body and, and being, giving yourself some grace, I think is probably much more sustainable and effective than the latter, than just pushing through it. Absolutely. And, and those are the healthiest people I see, right. The healthiest people you see are the ones who follow that sort of protocol in terms of what is my body saying? How can I listen to it better? How can I work with my body better than fight against it? Um, and, and being honest about that too, right. Cause again, there's a lot that we feel like we should just put our head down and do because society tells us to, and yet, yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in our bodies. Totally. Well, I think this conversation was extremely valuable. If you don't follow Catherine on Instagram listeners, you need to go follow her. She just did a really, really valuable um, series on stress and blood sugar. And I thought it was awesome. Um, So will you say your Instagram handle, how people can find you if they want to work with you? I think you're waitlisted, but can you talk about how, how everyone can find you? Yeah. So my website is katherineandrew.com. We can link it in the show notes. I'm sure. Um, my Instagram handle is Kath G Andrew. So K A T H G A N D R E W singular. Um, and I am doing, I'm in the middle of a stress series. So I've got inflammation coming up. I have talked about sleep, circadian rhythm, stress, um, and certainly share a lot of recipes on there. Um, I work one-on-one with clients virtually from Raleigh, North Carolina, um, where I don't get to see Shannon anymore. I know, sad. Um, and I do have a wait list, but I'm always taking new people. So I'm excited to help people um, and hopefully have some some programs and some virtual um, things coming out soon for Evlo members as well. Yay. I didn't know if we wanted to announce that, but we ser- should we announce it? <laughs> your call Shannon. <laughs> I think we should. I am super excited. Those listeners, um, we are bringing Catherine onto the membership onto the Evlo membership in September timeframe. We're still kind of, um, working out the final details in the timeframe, but I think we can officially announce, um, she is doing a series on the membership and it is going to be incredible. I am so excited because it seems like 
the missing piece, right? Like obviously I, I, I preach the importance of nutrition all the time, but I don't, I like to stay in my lane and not talk about it. So I am so excited that's coming. I will make sure to fill you all in and give you all the details, but it's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm pumped. It'll be great. I think it's a great compliment to what your members are learning already. I, I totally agree. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. Um, I'm sure we'll bring on Catherine again in the future, but thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It was fun. I enjoy talking to you always. All right. We'll talk to y'all next week. Bye everybody.